very much. Appreciate that good humble prayer. Brother Steve, and ask that we continue to pray uh, as I stand before you. Be the Lord's will this morning. I've had on my mind and have for the last several days uh, really some of the uh, basic doctrines of grace and of the things that are most surely believed among us. So I ask an interest in your prayers. The Lord would help us to present this and that his Holy Spirit would be with us. Uh, when you got a lot on your mind, sometimes uh, what you need is organization. And I pray that the Lord, uh, to his honor and to his glory, will help organize my thoughts this morning. Uh, begin, Lord being our helper, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It's talking about sin coming into the world by one man. That man was Adam. When God gave him the commandment in the Garden of Eden, of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The devil comes on the scene, and the first thing he does is, questions the word of God. He comes to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said? That's the same thing the devil does today. He hasn't changed his tactics much. He tries to get us to question the word of God. After he tries to question the word of God, he just comes a little further and just plainly says what God said is a lie. He would say, thou shalt not surely die. What did God say? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the devil just adds one word to totally change what God said and says, thou shalt not surely die. And the devil still does the same thing today tries to say that what God said in his word is not true. And because Adam sinned, it wasn't Eve. Eve was tempted. Eve talked to Adam. But it was Adam's sin. Adam is what we call our federal representative. He's our federal head. We were represented in Adam. Every single person here today, you're part of Adam's family. We all descended from him. And what Adam did flowed to us passively. I didn't have a choice in the garden, but Adam's bad choice flowed to us. And it was by one man's disobedience. For as, for, as by one man, sin entered into the world 
and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because of what Adams did, uh, later in this same chapter, and, and I would encourage each and every one to read all the verses of this chapter, but for sake of time, we'll skip down to verse 19, which reiterates the point, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By what Adam did, we were inheritors of his disobedience. And every person that came into the world since that time was conceived into this world was conceived dead in trespasses and sins. It says for by one man that sinned and entered into the world and death by sin. That's when death started. There wasn't death before that. But because of Adam's sin, death came into the world. And I'm going to tell you, the problem of sin in the world, sin is not one of man's problems. Sin is man's problem. Every problem we have is a result of sin. Not saying our own personal sin necessarily, it could be that. I can have a lot of troubles in this life because Mark Quarles did wrong. I can. But every problem we have in this life is because of sin, because we are in a sin-cursed world. And that's why death came into the world. And sickness and sorrow by one man. We were represented in him and what he did flowed to us. We were passive in his sin flowing to us. But we're sinners by nature because of what Adam did. Now we quickly become a sinner by practice because of what we do. If you look in Genesis chapter 5, you'll see a glimpse of the family of Adam. It's the genealogy of Adam. And basically as you go through that, you'll see where this person lived. They beget sons and daughters and he died. And this person lived and begat sons and daughters and he died. And as you go throughout Genesis 5, you'll see this familiar refrain again, and he died, and he died, and he died. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's why death came into the world. Why every sickness we've ever known came into the world. But thank God that's not the rest of the story. By one man came sin. By one man came death. By one man came sickness and sorrow. But thank God that's not the end of the story. In Romans chapter 5 verse 19, I quit reading in the first phrase, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
If you look through the several verses prior to where I'm reading now, what was connected with Adam was death. What's connected with the Lord Jesus Christ, that obedience of one, and it's talking about the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say the obedience of two. It's not what Jesus did plus what you do. It's just what Jesus did. So by the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. And we see in all those verses before connecting Adam with death, we see the Lord Jesus connected with grace and the Lord Jesus connected with life. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. That he's the Lord. You hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. How did we become alive? He quickened us. A dead man can't give himself life. Neither can anybody else, any other man or any other woman or any other boy or girl can give us life. But there's only one that can give life. And that's the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 5, we'll see those uh, sweet verses as the Lord Jesus himself is speaking and he is preaching. And he gives these words. Verse John chapter 5 verse 25. Verily, verily, which means truly, truly, I say unto you. What he's saying is something personal. He said, I'm saying it unto you. The hour is coming. He said, what I'm talking about is going to happen in the future but he also says, and now is. He said, what I'm talking about is going to happen in the future, but it's happening right now. The hour is coming, and now is when the dead. What kind of dead? If you look at the context, it becomes very clear that he's talking about the dead and trespasses and sins. The same thing we just covered in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 being dead in trespasses and sins. It's a spiritual death. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now there's such a thing in our world as something that's called active listening. Uh, for y'all to... To really get what I'm trying to preach today, you've got to be active. Uh, if the brethren and sisters in the pool and the pews are not active, you're probably not going to hear what I'm saying. You've got to be an active listener to pay attention, to listen to what I'm saying. So there is such a thing as active listening, 
But that's not what's being talked about here. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. A dead person can't be active. So somebody that's dead and trespasses and sins does not have the ability to be an active listener. They can only be a passive listener because they're dead. And these dead and trespasses and sins, as all of us were at one point, that's the way we were conceived into this world, when the life-giving voice of Jesus said, Live! We live. And he brought us out of that state of death into a state of life. And that's the only way it could have happened. He's the only life giver. Man has the ability to kill. Man has the ability to take life. But no man other than the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to give life. He's the only one. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 64. It's talking about the condition that we were in, being dead and trespasses and sins. Verse 6 of Isaiah 64, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Those rags refer to the rags that the lepers would wipe their sores with. And leprosy in the Bible is a vivid picture of our sinful condition. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away away from the Lord. There was an enmity there. There was a, a great separation there. And he said, there's none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. Why? Because they're dead in trespasses and sins. They have not the ability to call on the name of the Lord. They don't want to call on the name of the Lord. They're at enmity with the Lord that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hath consumed us because of our iniquities. That's where we were by nature. But again, that's not the end of the story. But now, but now, Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. Thou art our potter, and we are the work of thy hand. You know, none of us would want to be here this morning to, to worship the Lord had God not done a work in us. He took out that hard and stony heart and gave us a heart of flesh. He took us from a state of death and trespasses and sin into a state of life in Christ. And if you love the Lord Jesus this morning and you're a believer in his precious truth that gives sure evidence that you are a born again child of God and that heaven and immortal glory shall be your home one day. That's a sure sign that the Lord has done a work in your heart. 
And it's a perfect work. Ephesians 2, later in verse 10 or so, it says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Romans chapter 3 describes the state of man in the natural state that is dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 the Apostle Paul, in writing unto the church at Rome, would say, As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. By nature, we can't understand spiritual things. A dead alien sinner can't understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, and I'm just going to quote that verse and we'll continue on in Romans 3. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, it says, but the natural man. That's a man dead in trespasses and sins. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It says more than he doesn't want to know them. Now a dead alien sinner doesn't want to know them. But he can't know them. He said the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. Before we were born again we didn't have a spiritual receiver. Now, we can be right here in this meeting house this morning and there's all kind of radio waves coming in. There could be country music, rock music, talk shows, all kind of stuff, radio waves that are coming into this meeting house, but none of us hear those because we don't have a receiver. If we had a radio, if we had a receiver, we could hear all those radio waves that are coming into the congregation but we don't have a receiver. I can't call you on your cell phone if you don't have a cell phone. I can't call you if you don't have a receiver. And nobody would ever, the call of the gospel, the truth of the gospel would never reach a dead alien sinner. They don't have a receiver. They don't have any ability to understand spiritual things. So if you're here this morning, you are able to understand spiritual things. If you're here this morning and you do have a love in your heart for the Lord Jesus, it's a sure sign he's already done a work in you. He's already given you life. And it's sure evidence that he loved you before time ever began. And he's never going to quit loving you. Continuing in Romans 3, verse 10, it says, as, is, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none by nature, dead in trespasses and sins, that seeketh after God. Somebody may say, well, if somebody just seeks after God, they can be born again. 
A dead alien sinner will never seek after God. A dead alien sinner has not the ability to seek after God. Since they are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used to see. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's man by nature. That's where we were before the Lord gave us life. So how does it happen that the Lord gives us life? We saw a little bit there in John chapter 5 where the Lord Jesus said, For the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. You may say, Brother Mark, that sounds like that may be talking about the resurrection at the last day. No, not yet. Notice he said the hour is coming and now is. The resurrection is going to happen in the future, but it hadn't happened yet. Not the resurrection at the last day. But I'm going to tell you, God raising dead alien sinners to life has been happening since the beginning of time. And when the life-giving voice, when Jesus speaks with his life-giving voice and says live, we passively heard. Again, because we were dead. A dead person can't do anything active. We can only be passive. But we passively heard that life-giving voice of the Son of God, and we live. It's kind of like what Lazarus did in John chapter 11, where the Lord Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus couldn't have done anything. If the Lord had given him some job to do in order for him to get life, he couldn't have done any of that because Lazarus was dead and he wasn't able to do anything. But when the Lord Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus was given life. And because Lazarus had life, he was able to show evidences of that life. That brings us to to John chapter 3. Where the Lord Jesus is talking to a a man named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus. Bible said he had come by night because he was afraid. And he tells him this in John 3 We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Someone may say, well, it looks like he's telling Nicodemus to be born again. No, he's not. How do I know that? He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know that verb phrase, be born, is not active. 
It's passive. He's not telling Nicodemus to do anything. He's telling Nicodemus of a state he must be in in order to see the kingdom. If he was telling Nicodemus to be born again, you've got to do something to be born again, the, the phrase be born would be active. But it wasn't. This is a passive phrase. So he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he said, he's basically telling Nicodemus, you've got to be in a born again state. You've got to have spiritual life to see the spiritual kingdom. If you're dead in trespasses and sins, you can't even see the kingdom, much less enter into it. It's interesting that when Nicodemus said, we know, K-N-O-W, that particular Greek word is the same word Jesus uses, see the kingdom. That English word, know, K-N-O-W, Nicodemus said, we know something. He said, we know thou a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus uses that same Greek word that Nicodemus used that's rendered no, K-N-O-W, as see. And Jesus is basically telling Nicodemus, you can't know anything spiritually unless you've been born again. And you're in a born again state to see the kingdom. What a blessing that is to be able to see the kingdom. So again, if, if we were dead in trespasses and sins and there's sure nothing we could do to get ourselves life, how did we get life? The Lord gave us life. In John chapter 5, he describes that life-giving voice of the Son of God that gave us life. Here he's going to talk about being born of the Spirit. If we keep reading, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born... When he's old, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, what's Nicodemus thinking of? He's thinking of a natural birth. The Lord Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth. And I'm going to tell you, it's a great symptom of man. Here's a great teacher of the law. Here's a, here's a man, Nicodemus, that has devoted his life to studying the scriptures. But where is his mind? Natural things. What about me? What about you? How often times should my thoughts be on spiritual things when my thoughts are too busy on natural things? What did, would the Apostle Paul write? Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. The Lord's talking about a spiritual birth. He's talking about having spiritual life that gives you ability to see the kingdom. Nicodemus is still thinking about a natural birth. Now I'm going to tell you, the natural birth is a picture of the spiritual birth. We were all passive. In our natural birth. We didn't help. 
Uh, you can ask your mama. <laughs> we didn't help. We were passive in our natural birth. When my children were born, it was a very precious, precious sound to me when I heard their first cry. Because I knew when I heard them cry that they were alive. That was an evidence of life. I didn't for one minute think my kids got to cry in order to become alive. I knew better because I knew they couldn't cry unless they were already alive. But when I heard that cry, I knew they were alive. And they were giving evidence that they were alive. And I'm going to tell you, anything we can do spiritually in the kingdom of God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe the truth, have love overflowing in our hearts and our actions one to another, any actions we can do in following the Lord and being obedient to the Lord and to the, His word and to His truth, those are all evidences of spiritual life. We could never do those if we didn't have spiritual life. Those things don't make us alive. They show and give evidence we are alive. He goes on and says, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Again, that word, be born. Again, it's passive. Be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So you gotta be born, you gotta be in a born again state already to even see the kingdom. You've gotta already be spiritually alive, being in a born again state to enter the kingdom. What a blessing. I take for granted that the Lord did a miracle in my heart, to see the kingdom of God. It's a glorious kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom. For us to be able to see King Jesus in his majesty and his glory through an eye of faith, we had to be born again. We would have never seen him were we not. But the Lord's blessed us by his grace to see the kingdom. And he's blessed us to be able to enter into the kingdom. You know, I just don't want to look at the kingdom from afar. I want to enter in. I want to be close. How close do I want to be in the kingdom? To me, the center part of the kingdom is at the very foot of the throne of the king. That's the center of the kingdom. That's where I want to be. That's where Mary wanted to be when she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him preach. She wanted to be in the center of the kingdom. That's where I want to be. We've been blessed to be able to do that because of what the Lord's already done for us. He said, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again, for the wind bloweth where it listeth, means where it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that's born of the Spirit. 
He's going to say when the new birth happens, it happens this way every time. Everyone that's born of the Spirit, here's the way it happens. And he said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now that Greek word for wind and the Greek word for the Spirit is the same word. So he's comparing the Holy Spirit to the wind. Now what happened on the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came down a vibrant way, it said it came as a rushing mighty wind. Now that was a special blessing of the Holy Spirit on people that had already been born again there. So the works of the Spirit can be different. We as dead alien sinners can't ask for the Holy Spirit because we're dead. But we come together this morning as born again children of God that's already been blessed to be filled with the Spirit and regeneration. But we come this morning saying, Lord, bless us with the Spirit. Lord, please send the Spirit. He said, the wind bloweth where it listed. Canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Now, when we look out on a windy day, what do we see? Sometimes, and I've been guilty of saying this, I, we probably have all said this. Look out the window and say, look at that wind. Well, <laughs> technically, we don't see the wind. We see the effects of the wind. Well, we've all said it. I'll probably say it next time there's a real windy day. I'll probably say it again. Look at that wind. We don't see the wind. We see the effects. And as we look out and we see the wind blowing the trees, what happens? Those trees start to bend and sway. Those trees move because the wind is blown upon them. Now, I could go to some of the smallest children in this congregation and say, you know, isn't it funny? You look out on a windy day, every time that tree moves, it causes the wind to blow on it. The smallest child here will say, that's not right. They know that the tree doesn't move and that causes the wind to blow, but they know that the tree's moving because... And as a result of the wind blowing the tree. Same way in the new birth. When we're able to move spiritually, it's because the wind's done blown already. And we're moving for the wind. Where we're taken from a state again of death and trespasses and sins into a state in life. Because we've been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. God did the work. We were passive. The tree's passive when the wind's blowing. The tree's not helping. The tree's just passive, but it moves with the effects of the wind. And you see a man, a woman, boy, or girl that's moving spiritually, I'll show you a man, woman, boy, or girl that the Holy Spirit of God has already blown on. I'll show you a man, woman, boy, or girl that's been born again of the Spirit, that's already been taken out of a state of death into a state in life, and they're giving evidences of that life.
You may say, well, Brother Mark, what's the purpose of the gospel? Where does the gospel fit into this? Uh, the gospel's precious. The gospel is glorious. The gospel is wonderful. The gospel, by its very definition, literally means good news. You know, every day, <laughs> I think I love the gospel just a little bit more. We hear so much bad news in this world. Whatever you listen to, it's bad news on every hand. But we have some good news. It's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's not only good news, but it's the very, very, very best news there's ever been. It's the news that's able to lift us up from the sadness and sorrow of this life. We're lifted up in wondrous places up to Mount Zion to the city of the living God. We're able to rejoice in a Savior's love. If we look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, in writing unto the young preacher, gives a wonderful uh, brief synopsis of the purpose of the gospel. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed, of the testimony of our Lord. He said, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You know what the devil wants you to do? You know what the devil wants me to do? You know what the devil wants the world to do? To be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. It's not near as culturally okay to talk about the Lord in public as it used to be. Now I'm those, one of those hard heads. I'll do it. Whatever. <laughs> but from a political correctness standpoint, it's far less culturally correct to talk about the Lord in open public scenes than it would because the devil wants to push the Lord and the truth of the Lord out of the public scene and push it over into a corner. That's what the devil wants. What does God say? Don't be ashamed. The testimony of our Lord. And I want to tell you, sometimes the Lord can open doors for us. There's been times I've been in conversations with people and I've asked the Lord that morning, Lord, please give me an opportunity to praise thy name today. Give me an opportunity to share a little bit of the truth of thy wondrous grace with somebody. And sometimes when I've prayed that prayer, it's like a door that opens so wide open that the Lord tells me, Mark Quills, if you don't walk through this door, you're being disobedient. I've given you an opportunity. Maybe someone's lost their loved one and I have the opportunity to talk about the sweet truth of grace. It can be a lot of different situations, but and I'm so disobedient in not praying that prayer more than I should. Lord, give me an opportunity today 
today to bring forth thy truth and to tell others what great things the Lord has done for me. He said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul was a prisoner of the Roman authorities for preaching the gospel. He said, don't be ashamed of what I preach and don't be ashamed that I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner for the right things. I'm a prisoner for doing the will of God. I'm a prisoner for preaching the truth of the Lord Jesus. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He said, we were blessed before the world began. God Almighty loved us before the world began. One of the great texts in, on the sweet doctrine of election that God chose us in Christ even before the foundation of the world is found in Ephesians 1 where it said blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he that is God chose us that's us the chosen the elect in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's why when Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, he says, all that the Father giveth me. Who's he talking about? The same one that God chose us in Christ? He said, all that the Father giveth me. Those that the Father gave to the Son before time ever began and that the Son would come and would suffer and bleed and die on Calvary's tree for all of our sins. He said, all that the Father given me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he hath given me, Everyone that God gave me, says Jesus, every single one without the loss of one, every little sheep that God gave me, every one of them, all that the Father gave me shall come to me, him that cometh to me. That coming there is in the new birth. It's an irresistible call. We have the ability to receive the gospel or we have the ability to not receive it even as born-again children of God. But I'm going to tell you the call to life we can't resist because we were dead. All that the Father given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. He said, I'll never cast you out. You're secure in me. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. He says, Father, every little sheep, every 
every elect that you gave me, I'm not going to lose even one. Not even one. But I'm going to raise them up again. The last day. When he comes again, he's going to raise us up again. To be with him forever. He said, but now it's made manifest. Says what the Lord has done, he said he saved us. He's, he's called us with a, with a holy calling. Not according to our works. <laughs> not according to anything we did. It was by grace. And it'd be a grace, it's no more works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. And it'd be a works and it's no more grace. But it's now made manifest. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But he said, but is now made manifest what the Lord did and what the Lord Jesus Christ did and God the Holy Spirit in that eternal covenant before the foundation of the world. He said, it's now made manifest, how? By the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. What did Adam's sin bring? Death. Jesus said, who hath abolished death. Notice it didn't say who is going to abolish death. He said who hath abolished death. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, he abolished death. Death is already abolished. And hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice it didn't say that he brought life and immortality through the gospel, but he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does light do? It reveals what's already there. Let's say we're in this meeting house at midnight tonight. It's pitch black. Everybody that's sitting here now is sitting, sitting here at midnight. I'm not going to preach that long, by the way. <laughs> uh, if we're all in the dark, we can't see each other. If we turn on the light, me and all of you that are already here are made manifest. You're brought to life. Me turning on the light didn't make you be here. You were already here. You were already here, but when I turned on the light, it brought that you were here to light. It manifested what was already there. That's what the gospel does. It manifests the life and immortality that the Lord Jesus, it brings it to light. So we can see it. We can know it's there and we can rejoice in it. I've told this story many times and I've never come up with a better story than this. And if you think of one, tell me and I'll start using it. But the gospel to me, again, it means good news. And I think about the soldier at the end of World War II. Here's an American soldier. He's down in a foxhole and he's scared to death. He's afraid at any moment Another bomb's going to come his way. At any moment, the, the barrage of artillery will zip past his head. And he's terrified and he's fearful. He's afraid. 
He doesn't know that the United States and their allies have already won the victory. The victory's been won, but he doesn't know. And think of how sweet it would be when a fellow American soldier gives him the good news, the glorious news, and reaches down in that foxhole and says, the United States has won the victory. The war is over. You don't have to be afraid about any more bombs dropping, any more bullets ringing past thy head. The war is over, and the United States and their allies have been victorious. Did that change the truth of anything? No, they already had the victory. It didn't change of what had already actually happened. But I'll tell you, given that American soldier the good news, then the foxhole made all the difference for him. He went from being fearful and trembling and afraid to being jubilant of the victory that had already been won. The gospel doesn't make the victory so, but the gospel gives us the sweet news that Jesus Christ has already won, that Jesus Christ has given us the victory, and we're able to rejoice in that victory and that's precious and that's glorious that's what the gospel does it doesn't bring life it doesn't bring immortality but it brings life and immortality to light through the gospel god bless you this is my prayer